Hello, I'm Arvin Hickman, and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. Recently, industry trade bodies, the IPA and ISBA, launched the Pitch Positive Pledge, an initiative that aims to improve the outcomes of pitching, including greater transparency and mental well-being, as well as improvements in the quality of work and reductions in cost and wastage. Campaign also recently ran a special report about whether the pitch process is broken and how to improve it. Today, I'm joined by several industry leaders to discuss the pledge and what it can realistically achieve. We'll also take a look at Adam and Eve DDB's new Forum Flex hybrid working policy that has sparked a conversation in the industry about how to strike the right balance between working in office and remotely. Meanwhile, Wavemaker has new UK leaders, Kelly Parker, who has been promoted to CEO, and Katie Lee, who becomes Chief Operating Officer. We will chat to the pair about their new roles a bit later on. Joining our podcast is a stellar lineup. In the studio, we have Campaign's Work and Inspiration Editor, Imogen Watson, and ISBAR Director of Agency Services, Andrew Loden. Welcome to you both. Hi. Hi. And phoning in are Kelly and Katie, and Adam and Eve, DDB's Group Managing Director, Miranda Hipwell. Welcome to you. Hello. Hi. Okay, so let's start with four-day working week. Um, following nearly two years of pandemic, there has been a real sense that hybrid working patterns we were forced to adopt during lockdowns were here to stay. However, privately, uh, several agency leaders are grappling with offices that are half empty and trying to create a vibrant environment that Adland is famous for. Striking the right balance between flexible working and office buzz has proven to be a challenge, but one agency that believes it might have the answer is Adam and Eve DDB, which has rolled out a new foreign flex policy. It wants staff to come into the office four days a week and will pay up to 1,500 per person towards travel costs because of the rising cost of living. So Miranda, um, it appears to be going against the, the trend of hybrid working. So can you talk to us a bit about why Adam and Eve chose to introduce the foreign flex policy? Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, as far as we see it, it sort of is still a hybrid working model. I think that's important to say. And I think that it's absolutely looking to maintain some of the flexibility that people have been enjoying over the last couple of years, but putting a framework around it that we think will give our people and our clients the very best work and the very best opportunities. So it does feel like it allows us to sort of give that flexibility to the individual and their professional and personal agendas, but within a framework that sort of gives some certainty certainty and some some robustness. So in terms of why we introduced it, I think you probably, you know, it's only recently been announced. I think that's, we spent a while kind of listening to our people and talking to clients and kind of thinking about how we want the agency to evolve. So we didn't rush into this. Um, the key thing that we heard from our people is that they were losing connection with the agency. And I think it's really hard to manufacture that connection you know, through kind of virtual means. We've done our best over the last couple of years, but there's nothing that can stand in for actually being together in a room, working on a problem, working with clients. It just can't be replicated online. So when we thought about that connection that people were missing, we kind of thought, you know what, let's find a way that we can bring people back and give them some certainty, but still maintain some of that flexibility. So very much it's about giving people the opportunity to interact as a team. It's very much a team sport, what we do. Coming up with creative ideas for our clients doesn't happen necessarily all the time as individuals. The best work that we do is in a team. So we wanted to be together and that's what the Floor and, floor and Flex model allows us to do. 
And you mentioned, obviously, it's been a work in progress and you've been talking to people at the agency about how to how to make it work. How can we just dig a di- bit deeper about how it's been received internally? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's been received very well um, with quite a bit of kind of excitement and energy. I think what we were seeing over the last few months as sort of the the pandemic was sort of lessening in terms of the, the situation, we've seen a lot of people coming back two days, three days, some people coming in four days anyway. So there was already sort of a mm. shift in terms of people coming back to the agency. So I don't think um, when we talked about the specific sort of framework, people were surprised. I think actually people are kind of excited to to be on an even playing field because I think there was a bit of uncertainty about exactly how many days in and I think sort of defining foreign flex has really helped people because what we were finding where we had less of a structure is there was a lot of hybrid working and maybe too much. So there were people coming into the agency and actually getting here only to be dialing into meetings with other people that had you know, decided to stay at home that day. So what I've been trying to do is get this critical mass. And actually with that critical mass, people are sort of engaging much better together. We're seeing a lot of energy. You know, It was brilliant on Monday. We did really well at the DNA D Awards last week and we all gathered in reception on Monday and we celebrated. And the energy and sort of the feeling that you you get when you have that group of people gathered around the work and the agency is just not replicated online or in a hybrid world so yeah there's a lot of positive feeling towards it can you just talk a bit about the benefits that you've seen so far what the benefits of having people in four days a week i mean just to touch on the 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 benefit of the travel policy that you you mentioned up front i think that that's been a real benefit in terms of individuals who are struggling with the cost of living crisis. We've brought about that benefit, which is £1,500 for people that are earning £75,000 or less to go towards a season ticket. That is a massive um, kind of uh, encouraging benefit that allows people to, you know, have less of that sort of pressure on their finances on coming back. But the benefits that we're seeing is a real step change in terms of the energy in the agency, in terms of how people are working together. You know, we want to bring brilliant people into this industry and into this agency. And one of the things that has been really difficult is how we learn and develop and bring on that brilliant talent that we bring into the building. And I think you know, we've heard it many times, but that sort of learning by osmosis, that learning on the job, that benefit is really coming out in force now that we're back together more frequently. And just managing to kind of properly welcome people into the world of Adam and Eve DDB. Over the last couple of years, you know, we've had a huge number of new joiners that have never really known what it is to be at Adam and Eve DDB. And actually coming into a full agency and feeling what that's like, you know, the buzz, the energy, the kind of the serendipity that actually gives gives rise to some of our best work and our best ideas. You know, when you're walking past someone's desk and you see something over their shoulder or you overhear a conversation, those are the moments where you can sort of come up with ideas that weren't necessarily a planned brief or a planned output, but actually they're the moments where we see some of our best work coming through. So there are a huge range of benefits, but but they are, yeah, some of the key benefits we're seeing. Mm. And you mentioned before that obviously some people were coming in regularly, um, but we've had just had two years of, of working remotely. I think a lot of people have got used to, to working remotely. Was there any challenges in implementing this uh, after this period of getting people to come in? Um, and, and do you think there's a risk that will make it harder for, for you guys to recruit talent? 
I mean, you're right, like two years is a long time. And I think people have formed certain habits. And, you know, there are lots of people, including myself, that have maybe made moves out of London or done things that have sort of put a different structure in their lives. And I think the Forum Flex model is about supporting some of those things. Um, so, you know, for example, people are commuting in now, maybe longer commutes, like giving people the time to potentially come in a bit later. We're not expecting everyone to turn up at 9 a.m. and leave at 6 p.m. There's flexibility within that framework. So it's not only kind of a day that you get to work at home, it's also giving people the opportunity to drop their kids at school and then come into work or leave early to go and do that gym class that they've you know built up that routine of doing over the last couple of years. So we absolutely want to support that. Um, and I think the reality is, you know, we're an agency of nearly 500 people. So there are some logistical things that people are ironing out and we're giving them the time to do that. So this isn't about sort of forcing people into a way of working that's going to make their lives difficult. Actually, we are creating this way of working because we think it's going to really make people's lives better and therefore have a much more committed, much more engaged workforce. So we only really see benefits in this approach. And when it comes to recruitment, I think, again, it's not, we see it as a real positive and we see a lot of benefits in this opportunity for people to come to this agency, to work with amazing people, you know, through all elements of the agency, from the more junior to the more senior, and really to be part of something that's kind of bigger than individuals working at home on their screens and sometimes feeling very disconnected and sometimes feeling like they don't have a support network. So I think we only see benefits in this approach um, and we hope that it will be something that attracts talent rather than puts them off working at Adam and Eve. So um, yeah, we're feeling really positive about it. And it definitely feels like something is an all-in policy. You know, everyone should be in for these four days a week. Um, have you? How are you going to staff it? How are you making sure that, that people are coming in for the four days? I mean, there's an emphasis on, I mean, it's, it's, it's not going to be something that we have a register at the door every day or anything like that. And the emphasis is on mm. individuals making, you know, the most of this for themselves and for their teams, crucially, you know, it's about slightly shifting the emphasis away from individual um, desires, although that's an important part of it, to thinking about what will it mean for my team if I'm not in that meeting? What will it mean for, you know, my clients if I'm not there on that day? Um, so I think in terms of how we're going to ensure that, it becomes a part of how we work. Team, people that lead teams, you know, heads of departments will be keeping, you know, a, a view on how's it working, talking again, listening to our, our teams about what's working, what's maybe getting in the way and continuing to sort of evolve and make it work for people as we go. It's a really interesting uh, topic, Miranda. And a lot of people that we speak to, they, they all have different ideas about what that hybrid model working pattern looks like. I, th I think it's one of these challenges that that nobody really feels like they've got the answer at this stage. I'm just wondering, was this very much an, an internal Adam and Eve DDB thing? Or were you sort of speaking to some of your um, agency partners across the DDB network worldwide or, or even, even at Omnicom? Yeah, I mean, we've def definitely been looking at what the industry has been doing more broadly and just sort of um, looking at all the different models that have been emerging and very much sort of doing that exercise with a view to what is right for us and what is right for this particular agency. So it's not something that's been led by Omnicom or led by the broader DDB network. It's something that we in this building have been listening to our people, looking externally and sort of certainly seeing what the industry is doing and seeing what the market is doing, but then reflecting on what feels right for our product, our clients, our people. And so it's very much sort of, um, yeah, it's, it's something that we think is fit for us and, and our teams and our agency. So there's no sort of internal pressure or, or thoughts within Omnicom, if this works really well, let's roll it out further. 
Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I, certainly not something that we've been um, pressurized to explore. I think people will be looking on and sort of thinking, how's it working? How's the work looking? How are the clients feeling? You know, and our hope is it's really successful on all those fronts. So it may well be something that at a later date, Omnicongo, you know, that's working really well. Let's talk about it with other agencies and so on. But that's definitely not a conversation that's happened to date. No. Okay. I'd like to bring Wavemaker into it, into the discussion. Uh, Kelly and Katie, what, what's your current sort of um, hybrid working policy, if you have one? Yeah. Katie, do you want to, how do you want to do it? Do you want to take it rather than us just yeah. both, both speak yeah, over yeah. each other? Well, why don't we both just talk over each other like we usually do? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess I guess give us a rundown, Katie, and then we can also get your maybe your views on because you, you you obviously come from a creative agency leadership background as yeah. well, so you might have a, a different slight a slightly different view to, to Kelly. I think my my overall view, and Kelly and I have talked about this a lot, is that we and and I when I was CEO at Lucky Generals during the during the pandemic, and we were very very considered about not going out into the world and saying we will never work from an office again, or we will do this. Or I think the days of proclaiming exactly what is going to happen as a leader are gone. I think there is nothing, there is no weakness in ambiguity as long as you are clear with what you want your people to do at any particular time. But I think it's now very, very difficult in an ever-changing world to go, this is what we are doing forever. You can say, this is what we're doing now. This is what suits us and our business now. And we will continue to review it and we will see what should be coming next and where we should, where, where, where suits everyone as we move forward. So we have something at Wavemaker called Empowered Working, um, and this is really giving individuals the empowerment to choose how they work. I think what Miranda touched on around teams is vital to this, and I think that's something that we are good at and need to get better at because hybrid working and hybrid meetings are horrors most of the time, mm-hmm. and we all know mm-hmm. that they are the, the killer of creativity and productivity. So empowered working is really, there are three speeds of working uh, or three modes of working at Wavemaker. There is Avenger mode, which is where everyone has to be in a room together or in a space together, ironing out pitches, ironing out knotty client problems, or just meeting up and doing big set pieces with our clients and our teams. Then we have coffee moments, which are one-to-ones. They could be a walk and a phone call. They could be a cup of coffee at Wavemaker. They might be a team school. And then we have keyboard moments, which is when it's deep work that you can do on your own with your laptop, wherever suits you most. And it is a combination of those three things that we talk to our team about and have the expectation that they will do what is best for their clients and their team in the way that they do that. Okay, I have a couple of follow-up questions to that. The first one is, you obviously worked at Creative and Media, so you have, you have like a boom balanced view. Do you, do you think one type of agency lends itself more to being at office or, or should be more in the office versus working remotely than the other? And my second question is, and it's quite an important one, which Avenger do you rock up as in your <laughs> Avenger meetings? <laughs> The second question I'm going to massively disappoint you on because I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> Thor. Thor. She's Thor. Thor. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
<laughs> there we go. Why am I Thor? <laughs> you wield a big hammer. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> well, in a nice kind of way. Um, I'm, of course, one Not of literally. <laughs> okay, well, Wonder, Wonder Woman isn't an adventure, an, an Avenger, but we'll let that one run. Uh, what about in terms of difference between creative and media? Difference between creative. So there are, there are obviously differences between creative and media agencies. Does it mean that one can work better at home or separately than the other? No, I don't think that is the case. I think creative agencies have multiple departments that need to work closely together, whether that be planners, account handlers and creatives. Media have so many different specialisms that need to pull presentations together that, again, that's almost impossible to do virtually as well so even though the content of why you're meeting up might be different the need to collaborate to tell a story through a number of different parts of a presentation still require you in a room with post-it notes <laughs> or bits of paper trying to work out how on earth you get this this mess of brilliance into something that you can take to a client. Okay, thank, thanks so much for that thought. Uh, Wonder Woman, what, what are some of the, the challenges <laughs> and benefits in terms of organizing this new hybrid working reality? Challenges and benefits. I think, um, look, you know, when I, I think Miranda touched on this really well a minute ago, you know, sometimes actually people probably want a little bit more from a guardrail perspective than we've sort of maybe discussed when it comes to flexibility, empowerment, all of those things. So I think um, one of the challenges is making sure that although we have three very different sort of modes of working that are fully empowered for our people, that we're clear around the key one when it's coming together, which is Avenger mode and Avenger mode you know, is driven from either the team lead, the department lead or the, or the from an agency point of view. And that is where we fundamentally believe that that creativity or that collaboration is the unlock to brilliant unrivaled work from us as an as an agency for our clients and i think as long as as long as we're really clear on that and that has been maybe a bit tougher than we would have liked the other stuff will be a lot more formative and a, and a lot more fluid and agile for for individuals and for teams um opportunities i mean i think you know everybody be feeling empowered and feeling that they have a say in how they best do their work. I think, you know, there's a lot of discussion around neurodiversity at the moment and quite rightly, and, you know, all of the different people that are brilliant in our business have different ways that they like to work. And I think just allowing that for two thirds of the way that we see we work together, I think is you know, a nice, inclusive and drives belonging for a number of different people in their in their ability to choose how they see they do their work best in coffee or or in a keyboard mode. Um, so I think there's an opportunity around sort of attracting different talent and, and driving that sort of inclusivity and belonging um, as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I look like Katie said, never say never, right? Like we're we're, we're not looking to do a big switch up at the moment. If it, you know, we, something may occur and we might decide to, to do something down the, down the road, but at the moment it works, it works for us. And, and as long as we're getting enough of those Avenger moments and, and people feel the benefit of being 
in what is a brilliant collaborative office that allows us to not only collaborate as Wavemaker UK, but as with our global colleagues and with our creative agency colleagues at ease. Um, you know, as long as we're showing them the benefit of that, then I think there'll be a much more organic return to office than we were maybe originally expecting. Uh, I guess, yeah, so, so one of the key takeaways is, is to be flexible with your flexible working approach and that, you know, it, it's an evolving beast. You know, what, what might be right now might not necessarily be the right thing yeah. to do in a year's time. Um, Andrew, I wanted to bring you into the conversation. Uh, you know, Isabel's members are some of the largest, you know, brands and um big marketing teams or what are some of the trends that you've noticed with some of your members in terms of how they're managing hybrid working yeah i think it's i think it's different i think with the agencies you've got very strong clusters and you've got age and gender profiles that run across them whereas the advertisers are right across the country so i think they're some of their drivers to hybrid working are quite different so for example if you look at somebody like a gsk in brentford their hybrid working models um, are going to be different, I would suggest, than say a Twinings in Andover, or, or a, 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 a drinks company in Scotland, because of the access into the buildings, the, the type of security that they will then employ. I think also looking at a GSK, they've been quite advanced in, in in policies and process that have actually encouraged um, hybrid working to a degree even before the pandemic. Mm. So I think the move back is quite different. I mean, I think a lot of the focus is the same, though. It's bringing people back to work so they're comfortable, they're coming back to work so they're safe. The advertisers are putting a lot of effort into this. And certainly we're picking up many conversations through some of our working groups about looking at best practice. And I think certainly it, there is an impact which has been driven by the agencies because the it's not only the agencies, you're seeing it with the intermediaries as well, centrally based in London, a lot more remote working. So suddenly you're seeing exactly the same. It's, a lot of it's being mirrored, I think, with the advertisers mm -hmm. and they're learning from, I think, in part some of the agencies, but also the larger ones have their own policies. And I guess vice versa. Did you get a sense that you know, advertisers prefer their agency partners to be more office-based or do they, do they not really care so much anymore? Uh, that's a very difficult question to answer. I think it's, uh, I think it's a journey. I think... We went into the pandemic and everybody was at home and everybody was in the same boat. I think that we're now through it, through the pandemic and into a crisis stage, it's still here, but it's heading towards being endemic. And I think that business needs are going to change. And I think, I think this has been a journey and I don't think we're at the end of it. I think we've had the pandemic and a complete closure. I think we're finding hybrid workings and new ways of working now and this next bit is very much my opinion, not an ISBAR policy here. But I think we're going to go into a completely new phase as well. I think if you look down the line, 12 months, 24 months, as people get bored working at home, possibly, as lifestyles change, there's a lot of younger people who are in small flats and the cost of living crisis is going on. And I think it's great to hear that some of the agencies are actually making allowances to their staff to travel in because there's a well-being issue around that. Yeah. But as it settles, I think the real danger here is there's going to be more AI coming into this, more monitoring. Um, people will be less comfortable. Will they become less productive? So I think there's... We haven't got to that stage yet, but I certainly reflect on that and see where we could go in the future. It's, it's really interesting that you made that point about how the cost of living crisis might impact how employees feel about whether they work from home. And I've, I've heard anecdotally from a couple of people um, that actually they might find it beneficial to come to the office because it, it might end up costing them less than if they're, they're running energy at, at their home 
all day, for example. Uh, Miranda, I, I wanted to sort of um, ask you, in terms of clients, did you have discussions with some of your key clients about this new policy? And, and if so, what was their response to it? Yeah, I don't think necessarily we spoke to them about the policy before we sort of talked to our people about it. But we definitely have heard a lot from clients when they see us all together or they come into the agency and we're acting as one team. We get a very, very positive response from our clients. So it's something that we just anecdotally feel they like to see. You know, they love to think that after a meeting, we're not just all closing our laptops and going to do something else. We're actually then in the room talking about that challenge and that problem and instantly sort of galvanizing around what's the solution. So we, you know, we didn't talk to them specifically about the policy, but I, I think that, yes, they they like to see us all together and we do, you know, some of the best work for them when we're together. Okay, fantastic. All right, I want to move away from policy and on to pledges, pitching pledges, in fact. Now, this is an issue that has stirred a lot of passionate debate in the industry, um, as pitching always does. And I guess with the pandemic, and sort of a greater focus and awareness of staff mental health. It's interesting to see how the industry has really come together to launch this new pitch positive pledge. Now, Andrew, you've been heavily involved in the project uh, from the start uh, with IPA President Julian Douglas, who I spoke to recently. Can you sort of take us through some of the key parts of the pledge and why it's important? Yes. I mean, I think go to the important question first. I mean, pitching has always been important. It's the lifeblood of agencies and it brings some fresh thinking into the into the uh, advertisers. It solves problems for advertisers. Um, it's important beyond just the need for commercial reasons to pitch now. I mean, we have gone through a pandemic. Well-being is important. We've, we've, we, 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 we see our colleagues in different ways. And I think we see agencies in different ways. Um there's a lot more awareness about the planet and the environmental issues that, that sit within that. And profit is going to be important. If the profitability is important to agencies, profitability is important to um, advertisers, and it drives the economy. So that's not going to go away. So with that recognition um, and all the discussions over is is the process broken? I mean, this has been a debate that's been going on for, for 20 years or more and has never been resolved. So go, going at it again on the basis of let's fix a, a, a the, the broken process of pitching. If in 20 years we couldn't fix it, there's no technology that's going to fix this. It needs a different approach. And that's been very much the way we've actually driven this to make the whole process a lot more intentional. Mm. And what are some of the key components of the pledge? I would say that... Um, we could run a completely different podcast for another hour. I could talk about this. It's a passion. But I think to try to keep it really simple, it's on the advertiser side, be really sure that you want to pitch, engage in a very different way with your incumbent agency. Um, try to remove some of the, the pitching which actually takes place, which really shouldn't take place. Once that decision has been made, you'd be very clear about it. Engage with, say, first of all, with your incumbent and then the wider agency group. Do you need such large RFIs, does the process need to be as big? For example, if you don't need pitch theatre, be, just be clear. Um, can you make the pitch process, if you want a shorter pitch process, you may have to ask your agencies to do different things. So be open to that. Having all your stakeholders aligned. So again, far more intentional. And you get to that third phase of it, where we're looking at this and saying, we also need then to, to wrap up in a different way. And it isn't just the phone call that says, look, I'm really sorry you haven't got it. Um, 
It's it's having the spending time to have the face to face meetings with the agencies. It's also there's some. It, it doesn't end with the award. It goes beyond that because so many relationships are actually set, and then they're walked away from because it just becomes business as usual too quickly. There's a lot of work to keep a relationship going. And I think words like relationship and partnership become very overused in this area. And we don't actually reflect on what they mean. So again, it's keeping the the whole thing intentional post-pitch. And just to amuse me, one of the things that we've asked for on the agency side um, is that they don't ring campaign up before the, the client has actually had chance to speak to um, the the agencies. Particularly, that that's harsh on a losing agency if the winning agency is leaking it um, and then suddenly it appears in the afternoon um, on a on a campaign newsflash. Yeah, can, can, can I just add the campaign does not necessarily endorse you not ringing campaign up. I just want to be clear about it. You feel free to call us whenever you like to. We're good at keeping secrets. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Okay. There's obviously quite a lot in the pledge itself. And um, just for the benefit of our listeners, I've actually included a link um, which goes into much more detail if you want to look at it. Um, you know, were there any parts that you were discussing throughout your process that didn't quite make the final cut or that you would have liked to include a bit more stronger language around? Yes. Um the simplest is definitely yes. It's just how far am I going to go with what didn't make it? So uh, the, the, let me give just two examples. And the way they're interconnected, at the, at the very outset, one of the questions was, should we talk about it being a, bo- a broken pitch process that this is here to fix? And the answer to that was no. Very so- soon after that, we got into the debate about should advertisers um, be, be asked to pay for pitching? And we said, well, if you look at advertisers in general, some are making profits, some are losing money. Some want new ideas, some want new agencies. So again, we said, no, you can't have a one size fits all around this. So it can't, it can't be about that. Um, there was there were many other d- debates as we got into some of that detail about, do we phrase it this way? Or do we phrase it that way? And as we were trying to take a whole industry with us, we said, no, we have to find some middle ground here. Mm. But one of the real surprises of moment, one of the real surprises was when we came to talking about our commercial reasons, a good reason to pitch. And the agencies, because we spoke to we spoke to agencies, we spoke to advertisers, we spoke to intermediaries, we took a lot of soundings, and sometimes we had them all in the room together. And I was surprised, pleasantly surprised, when agencies said, yes, it is a good reason to pitch for commercial reasons. So that that was something from an advertiser side. I was a little bit concerned how that would go down, but it was it was agencies themselves were saying yeah. that's a good reason. Yeah, I mean, when you were having the discussions, though, was it was advertisers and agencies in the same room, or was it sort of done in a way where they they could sort of speak their mind and not? We went through a number of different phases, and with it. so very very simply and very quickly, we had agencies speaking a small group of agencies speaking i represented the whole advertising industry we flipped it we did it with um advertisers and julian represented the whole agency industry we had intermediaries in a room together and finally we had a workshop where we had advertisers and agencies in the room together and we we facilitated a debate between the pair okay i just want to um bring miranda into the discussion so i understand she has to leave us shortly Uh, miranda have you had a chance to look at the pitch positive pledge and what are your views about it 
I think it's good. I think it's the right balance of sort of, you know, giving us the opportunity to go into those competitive pitches, which we know is the lifeblood of the industry and often the agency. You know, they're brilliant moments where any agency can show off the very best of what they have to give. But I think giving some consideration to the people that are within that pitch and almost asking people just to take a step back and consider, you know, the the choices they make along the way in terms of the people on the agency side, but also in terms of the people on the client side, you know, it's both sides that are often operating at a very high capacity during pitches. And then I love the sort of emphasis also on the environment and, and what we're doing and the impact of that on the planet and sort of, you know, that there is often, you know, waste in terms of how we approach things. And sometimes maybe that's not needed. So the, the sort of ambition to everyone take a collective sort of step back and make sure that we're going into this holding hands with all the right intentions and having asked ourselves the right questions is is really very, very good for the industry, for our clients and for the agencies too. Fantastic. Now, Katie, I spoke to you in, in some detail for our features, three-part feature on pitching, which of course you can all read on the campaign website. I just wanted to, to get your views about the pledge itself. I spoke to you before it actually came out. Uh, what, what, what are your impressions of the pledge in its sort of final form and and what do you think it will achieve so showing my age i think i i was involved in a similar pledge with the ipa and isba about 13 years ago no um, so so i know that you know, we we've we've tried these things before and they work to an extent but i think often agencies are their own worst enemies in these situations because it is such a commoditized market but I'm really heartened to say that the last three pitches that I have seen a brief have had the positive pitch logo on the pitch brief. And I don't think I saw that previously. So I feel that at this moment, we've, we've, we've hit a moment where clients and advertisers really want to lean into this, really want to think about pitching, think about how they pitch positively. So it feels like there is some real traction behind it, which is positive, is a, a real positive in, in all of, for all of us. Um, I agree about commercials, and I think we talked about this quite a lot when um, we were talking about the pledge and reasons for pitching. And a lot of us talked about the importance of prioritizing why you're pitching. So if it is commercials, lead with the commercials. Let's get that out of the way first. And, and I know that's probably easier in a media agency than an ad agency because you have more of a, of a view of you know, the grids that you need to be filling out to begin with. But I think prioritizing what you want as an outcome and using that to simplify a pitch process is a really useful and positive way to work. And then I guess for me, the sustainability didn't show up as much as I would have liked it to. So I'm always appalled at what we do in pitches when it comes to pitch theatre, whether that's the food, whether that's the mood films, whether that's the leave behinds. I think most of us have stopped doing great big forest-like leave behinds. Um, Thank goodness. But I, you know, even so, making two or three films for a single pitch presentation is a huge waste of energy, both personal energy, but also environmental energy as well. So I, I think the sooner that pitch theatre can be looked upon a bit like plastic straws, 
the better. Um, it, it should look old fashioned to do it rather than lazy that you haven't done it. And I think anything that the pitch pledge can do to really hammer some of that home would be helpful. Mm. Now, Andrew, there's been some scepticism from industry leaders about whether the pledge has enough teeth to be effective. Um, so what's your view on that? Yeah, I think I, I read some of that and, I, and, I, and I, I hear it. And I think that, and I guess that question would come up. So I, I look at it this way. This is this is new. I genuinely think this is new. I think um, what was being mentioned a moment ago was the good pitch guide, mm. which was a how to pitch. Yeah. We're trying within this. The, the real goal is to change behaviours. So I view this as, as, as a, maybe a poor analogy here, but this is something of a baby. It's 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 cutting teeth. There is so much more work that we're going to be doing on this. We, this is not a case of it's out there. Let's walk away and leave it. I actually want, we need to create resources. We need to create better frameworks. Behaviour isn't changed overnight. And that's the behaviour of the agencies and it's the behaviour of the, the advertisers. And within the advertisers, we've got heads of finance who need certain things. We've got marketeers who are driving things. We've got marketing procurement who are driving things. So these are all very different needs and we've got to build this out. So this is not... Um, in any way, shape or form, from my perspective, something to um, create, walk away from and pick up the next task. And I know that Julian's very keen that this carries on beyond his presidency. Um, and we are in discussions already with the IPA as is Barter. How do we just keep keep it alive and really nurture this into something that is here for the future as well? So things like environmental, yes, that needs to be stronger. But how do we make it stronger? Mm. Um, we've got to, there's some basics we've got to build on first. So we're going to carry on. This is not this is not over. And just uh, I think this this relates into um, Adam and Eve as well. I believe um, we're working with Calm, um, the campaign against living miserably as well. Yeah. We didn't speak to them on the basis of give us make this a, a one shot dip in and dip out. So this 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 has got a future. Mm. It's definitely a work in progress. Yeah, very much so. Um, uh, and Kelly, what's your take on what more the industry can do to improve the pitch process? I think, look, we've discussed most of it today. I think the big thing for me and for our business is going into things in a really honest and open manner. So to sort of Katie's point, that sort of why are we why are we doing this? What are the criteria around it? You know, we've had many scenarios over the years um, of sort of discussing as incumbents in particular, you know, do we change up the team? Are you looking for full freshness? Do you, you know, all mm. of those sorts of things. And I think sometimes I, I actually don't think clients deliberately do it, but I think until the process starts to run, they sometimes don't realize what, what it is that they're looking for. And I think just a little bit more time upfront, genuinely sort of considering all of the elements of the pledge and, and really thinking about like why they are going through this process and do they need to go through the process um or all all of what is deemed a kind of big pitch process i think is super important um that would be key yeah andrew i just want to get, give you a final word on this so you mentioned before that you know there's obviously been several attempts by the industry in the past to do sort, sort of similar initiatives around this what makes this one different that you think will help it achieve more success where other past attempts have failed? Yeah, I think the, the, the biggest difference, a uh, touch on a process is a process and you can bring different people to the process and they will interpret it in different ways. 
Uh, someone even look at the process, they'll just go, well, I did it like that in the previous company. What we're really looking at here is behavior. We're focusing on behavior throughout. What is What are the appropriate behaviors? Many companies now, we're all having to focus on ESG policies. So again, it's, it's the time is right. If companies want to fulfill their ESG objectives, this is a part of it. Let's get advertisers thinking in a different way and engaging with agencies in a different way. I mean, to the just a quick point that's already been mentioned a couple of times is about understanding why you want to pitch. We actually believe, we being Julian myself, that you can actually state why you want to pitch in about six sentences. That's not the pitch brief, but you can tell your agency. Why not be honest and upfront with your agency? That's the start of the behavioral change. It's there to be done. And I think this is where we're going to put all the energy going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, we, as I mentioned earlier, we've written quite a lot about this. I'll include some links actually for our listeners um, if they want to do a slightly deeper dive. Let's hope that the pledge has a positive impact on, on pitching and on the mental well-being of the industry in general. Right. Finally, Katie and Kelly have recently been promoted to lead Wavemaker UK. As CEO Paul Hutchinson, uh, known in the industry as Hutch, departs to move to uh, Australia, where he has taken a leadership role at a media agency called Bohemia Group, which is part of MNC Saatchi. Katie recently joined Wavemaker as Chief Growth Officer and will now become Chief Operating Officer. Kelly was previously Chief Operating Officer and now steps into the CEO role. Congratulations to you both. Thank you. Obviously, these moves have been motivated by Hutch's decision to relocate down under. He'll be swapping his London office for a very lovely office right near Sydney's Opera House. <laughs> to add, I've actually been there before, and it's is, it is great. Uh, Kelly, this you know this always feels like an important juncture for Wavemaker. You've had a couple of you know some might say mixed years, challenging years in terms of new business and, and billings growth. Um, you know, there's also been a strategy at Wavemaker to sort of evolve the agency proposition more into consultancy and the sort of integration of precision media. I guess my first question to you, what sort of leadership style will the Kelly Katie duo bring to Wavemaker? What's going to change? I mean, we're not going to change, that's for sure. And I think, you know, we're really clear on, you know, we're in these roles um, because we have been part of forming what the kind of strategy and vision for this agency alongside the, the rest of the Exco um, should be and it's not about pivoting away from that I think just you know our our kind of well, what, what should I call it slightly more kind of in the business style or, or knowledge um, going forward is is something that I think we bring um, and will continue to bring that is is much more sort of um, I don't know Katie, Katie help me out here I think it's, <laughs> it's much more sort of I don't want to say in the weeds because people hate leaders that go in the weeds, but we are, we're quite in it amongst it with the clients, with the teams in the rooms. And um, I think that's probably, you know, not something that we look to change as we step into these, into these new roles. I sometimes people talk about leading from the top of the triangle versus the center of the circle. And I think we are, leaders that lead from a center of the circle so we surround ourselves with good people we don't just trickle things down from ivory towers 
Okay, fantastic. Um, you've recently had, you know, a very highly respected chief data officer, David Fletcher, um, aka Fletch, uh, leave after more than three decades at WaveMaker and some of its its previously known agencies. Are you planning to sort of fill that role uh, or any other sort of leadership gaps that you've identified? So we're not going to hurry to do that. I mean, I think, um, you know, we're very clear that, um, you know, digital data, tech, transformation frameworks are important, have been important for the last few years for all of our clients. And we continue to be able to deliver those day in, day out across the clients that we have and in, and in the new business proposition that we offer net new new business and, and clients that would like would like to work with WaveMaker. Um, I think it's it's you know definitely something that is in our plans to think about what that role should be in a in a, an agency that is looking to be future fit for the next five years. Um, and I and I don't I want to I want to see what's out there and and spend some time talking to different people with different backgrounds and and really think about bringing someone into the into the agency that maybe offers something that we don't already have you know i said it to one of your colleagues the other day arvind we have a team around us that are brilliant um and uh extremely capable and doing a phenomenal job we're having a brilliant first five months or i've had a brilliant five months this year um and so i want to give some of those an opportunity to really show us what we can do before we before we jump and knee jerk into bringing someone else into the agency that does that role Okay. Well, one of the things that you mentioned to to Daniel, who wrote the initial story about your new roles, was that you know you you found it quite difficult or challenging to find sort of mid level to sort of senior talent out there in filling these roles. Can you sort of elaborate on on that point and how you intend to fill some of these vacancies going forward? Because there is obviously a, a big talent crunch, isn't there, in the industry at the minute? Yeah, I mean, I think um, as I speak to my sort of peers across the industry, and you know. Um, our chief talent officer Rob is always talking, you know, out in out in the market um, with other with other talent officers, understanding kind of the challenges that we face. I think everyone's facing that sort of the, in the squeezed middle of the agencies that sort of challenge around that group of group of talent at sort of manager and director level. I think that's just a genuine sort of gap that we are all all challenged by. Um, I don't think WaveMaker is unique in that in that um, challenge that everyone's facing. I think we want to make sure as we as we kind of continue to go to market to find people in those roles that we are genuinely thinking about what this industry or what our clients need for the next three to five years, and we don't just look for you know lots of the same or what we had before in those roles. Um, you know the role of the role of client leads, the role of data leads is, is evolving all the time. And I think we need to be going to different places to find people from different backgrounds and different skill sets um, to come into the agency so that we're fit for fit for the next three to five years, absolutely across our client base. I think the, you know, the other thing is the the, the pool of talent that we're we're fishing in, you know, is the same, it's the same pool that lots of people, and I said this to Daniel the other week, you know, rewind 10 years and we weren't really fighting with clients for the same types of talents. And and now, you know, you've got the big tech companies, you've got clients, you've got the specialists, you've got the other holding groups, everyone's fighting for the same talent. So, you know, it's it's not surprising that we're we're all struggling. 
Okay, it's obviously a, a very tough recruitment market um, for agencies at the minute. Uh, Katie, you recently mentioned that your new business rate this year has sort of hovering around the seventy percent mark, which seems to be you know a step up from recent years. Uh, you've obviously had a, a, you know, a couple of interesting years, and I know you were kind of brought in as, as sort of a chief growth officer. I, I guess with the remit of really sort of ironing out that new business process. Uh, what, what do you what do you put this new success down to? Are you changing things the way you go you go to market, and and what, what's delivering some of the, these new pitch? wins you know what i i would be a fraud to say that this wasn't a bit of goal hanging (laughs) (laughs) you're too modest i have not done this all myself it is safe to say sure um i think people recognize that we needed to change that what we did last year um we have got an incredible new business team in the business and when I arrived in January, we had an agency that was raring to go, an agency that knew that we needed to turn around what happened last year, that wanted to do it, didn't necessarily know how, but honestly, the energy I have seen from every single person that has worked on a pitch over this year has been absolutely phenomenal. So my role in that really was making sure that they had the support they needed that every pitch room, whether that was before we saw a client, that nervous moment just before the client arrives, that those those moments were full of laughter and encouragement, not nerves and fear. And I think just changing a lot of that body language, you know, Kelly led probably at one of our biggest pitches this year um, and we retained it, which was absolutely fantastic. But the body language that was brought into the room every day, the small things like spending the night, the evening together the night before the pitch and just not working and talking just meant that the the way we went into the room and the way that we've approached things has been very, very human. And really, whatever you put in front of a client, clients are there to buy a group of people. And what we needed to do was make sure that our people showed up confident, happy and knowing what they wanted to talk about. So was it really just a matter of changing, I guess, some of the cultural elements around that and and sort of taking some of the pressure out of it, make it a bit more fun? Or do you also think there's there's an element where you've had this new sort of market proposition and and clients are now starting to to appreciate that or... Absolutely. And that's, that's where my goal hanging comes in. There was, you know, we've got this incredible proposition we have got... Can you just describe, global... describe the proposition for our, for our audience? Okay, so um, our proposition is all around positive provocation. So the the idea of pov- positive provocation is, is really empowering all our people to have an opinion on things, to think about how to do things differently, to think about not taking the easy route, but to be provoking. We talk about provoking growth, which is really about asking clients the difficult questions, making sure that what we are doing is always the thing that puts growth front and center of, of how we're acting. It's positive because provocation on its own could could feel negative, could feel very confrontational. But what we are looking at is asking the difficult questions to get the, to the most positive and best outcome that we can. And that really goes across everything we, that we do, including how we operate. We have a brilliant global operating system. We have some really fantastic tech and tools that have got better and better over the last couple of years since Toby has taken the helm. And I think we are seeing 
the benefit of how we talk about the tools for the benefits and the outcomes that they deliver rather than for the tools themselves. And I think we have become much more comfortable, proficient and confident in the way that we talk about that and, and therefore the stories that we tell to potential clients. Yeah. Can I, I just build on build on that a little bit? I think you, you touched on this as you asked that question of Katie Arvindin, you know, is it sort of more about culture and removing fear? I think, you know, it's no secret that 2021 wasn't, uh, you know, a great kind of winning pitch year for uh, for us. And, you know, we the curse of the incumbent, unfortunately, you know, was something that we felt. And, I you know, I think it would be remiss of us not to say that that had took a huge toll on 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 people and everyone was a couple of inches shorter probably by the end of the year just in terms of slumping their shoulders and feeling a little bit crap about themselves and we we intentionally made a kind of um shift into 2022 where we took that pressure very obviously off people and said you know what guys this is this is not about the commercials this is not about you know winning or losing what it is about is showing up as our best selves as wave makers and making sure that we deliver work that we are super proud of and that that client should feel excited about buying. And that should be on our current clients and that should be on our anything that we go after from a from a new business perspective. And I honestly think that shift to thinking about the work and not worrying about win or lose um, has really, like you say, removed any element of kind of fear and, and, and just breathe a new life and excitement into just, you know, enjoying media again and, and, and really just wanting to do great work and do that work with people that you really value and um, and like working with. And so I honestly think that is, if anyone was to ask me the secret of our success alongside brilliant tech tools and, you know, global support and obviously phenomenal leadership from our new business team and, and KTE, that would be what I think has really shifted. Now, you both bring a lot of senior agency experience, Kelly with OMD and Havas and Katie running Lucky Generals and a bunch of other creative agencies. Um, what will you both bring to Wavemaker and what are your personal goals? Who wants to take it first? <laughs> um, I mean, I've already, I suppose we're already here, right? So what will we bring? I think we're already, we're already bringing it. Um, I, I definitely bring a lot of volume. <laughs> um it's not a very quiet place sea containers when i am in it um and i think you know that's you know to turn that into a leadership style i'm a very present leader uh and i don't intend to ever not be a present leader um i'm also a meddler and i will never not be a meddler i love to solve problems i love to help people solve problems um and help our clients and, and, and our people do that. So, you know, I'll definitely be doing more of that, I suppose, across a wider base of the agency as, as, as things move forward. Um, I, I think the thing that I am, you know, thinking about the most, I suppose, is sort of how do we drive true empowerment through 450 wave makers to be the best they can be every single day and and benefit from that as a business i think that's the thing that katie and i talk quite a lot about is how do we give them the tools the the support the you know be their cheerleaders help them develop ensure they've got that growth mindset and um how do we make sure that they feel that they can have the best experience of their career 
at WaveMaker because if we can make that happen, then our clients will experience the best of WaveMaker and others will want to, to come and see us and, and our clients will stay. Yeah, and, and I, I guess I'd add to that, you know, Kelly is a bundle of energy. When I, Before I joined, everyone said, oh, you'll love Kelly. She's so energetic. And I thought, God, this sounds exhausting, really. <laughs> Loud <laughs> and energetic. <laughs> Luckily, it's a very infectious energy, which brings everyone along with it. So I'd say that we, we bring an energy. We definitely bring a humanity. You know, we do not take ourselves seriously in rooms um it's a very human experience people speak their minds we speak our minds so i hope that people can bring their whole selves to work because we certainly do you know, you you see you see us in the hole every day when we are in the office and and you know kelly talks a lot you know, in every conversation we talk about clients Clients is absolutely at the forefront of everything we do. Um, and it's what drives any change. So when we talk about transformation, when we talk about the work, when we talk about our people, it is always to the service of how can we do better work for our clients? What do our clients need out of this? So I think it's it's really relationship, relationship, relationship. And that is, I think, the new style of leadership will be the things that we've always done in the roles that we've been in, whether that's a client officer or a growth officer role, it's about building really strong relationships. Fantastic. Well, thank you both so much for joining the campaign podcast. And we wish you both the very best of luck in your new leadership adventures. Um, also, a huge thank you to Andrew for coming into Twickenham to our studio. I believe you're the first, you're actually the first external guest we've had in this studio. People don't tend to come to, to Twickenham. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, that's a nice little one to add to your CV. Um, also, a big thank you to Miranda for joining us and Imogen. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure you visit our website, campaignlive.co.uk and subscribe to keep up with all of the latest industry news, features and analysis. Also, please follow the campaign podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Finally, a big thank you to our producer, Aidan Lyons from Rethink Audio and to all of our listeners. We hope you'll join us next time on behalf of the campaign team. Goodbye. Goodbye.